0: Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults, moreover, Keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we come to your word today which proclaims the witness of the universe and proclaims the witness of your word to reveal yourself to us May we, may we who are in this place today experience the revelation of the God who created all that is. May we experience you. Make yourself known in this place. Open our eyes to see what creation is proclaiming day after day and night after night. Open our hearts to receive your word. Give us the desire to respond appropriately according to this psalm. God, give us great insight into your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I love, what I love about Psalm 19 is it follows uh, a very clear path. It, It starts with how God reveals himself in creation, It moves on to how God reveals himself in his word and then brings us right where we need to be to how man ought to respond. And so that's what we want to look at today. If you have the the handout in front of you, there's basically three parts to this psalm and three parts to this message, and we want to look at them together. The first thing we want to consider is the witness of creation. The witness of creation occupies the first several verses of the psalm. This is what we often refer to as general revelation. General revelation is the idea that that God has placed intrinsically in his creation a witness to his glory, a a testimony to his existence. When you look around and you view creation, you, you ought naturally come to the conclusion That there is some sort of God. There's some sort of creator that somebody, that this is the work of someone or something. This is what we call general revelation. Let's read again this first few verses of of Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now the heavens, most of the time in scripture and certainly right here, the heavens are simply referring to the sky, what you look up and see. The, the, the universe above us, that's the heavens. Don't think of, uh, of this as referring to what you, you might say, well, why is heavens plural? I thought there was just one heaven. No, this is just a reference to what is above us. The heavens declare. We look up and, and the universe above us and around us is giving this testimony to the glory of God. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. One of the things you see in Scripture, I remember this from when we were going through Ecclesiastes together, one of the things you see in Scripture is that creation is a constant testimony. Creation is is a a, a never-ending, completely unceasing declaration to the glory of the God who created it. You and I, we, we may proclaim God's glory, we may proclaim God's goodness at specific times in our life, we just sang songs of worship, we just sang about his goodness and his grace and his glory, and so for at least those few moments we were declaring the goodness of God, but creation never stops. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night, They communicate knowledge. Creation has, from the beginning of time, been declaring the glory of God. Long before you existed, the universe was proclaiming the glory of God. And long after you are gone, creation will continue to witness to his existence, to his glory, and to his goodness. And the Bible tells us in in verse three that creation does this without the use of verbal language, without speech or without words, without a voice being heard, yet the message is communicated. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. What's interesting in Psalm 19 is that the psalmist kind of hones in on the specific witness and testimony of the sun. Now the sun, Greg and I were, were, had a little banter before the service because he obviously got some sun this weekend. And I said, you know, how was the pool? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, you got some sun. for figured you had the pool. And he looked at me, he goes, how was the basement? Because I haven't been out in the sun all summer. Uh, but we have this opportunity today to, to live it, it kind of sheltered from the sun, My office, just a a few feet from here, where I spend most of my week, gets no sun. I mean, a little bit of sunlight bleeds through the windows, but I like air conditioning. I like, especially this summer, it's so dang humid this year and so hot. But the psalmist and and all of the people who, who live, I mean, honestly, the majority of the people who have lived throughout human history, the sun is a major part of their day. Most people don't have the opportunity to exist within a climate-controlled environment. They live out in the sun. And he says, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It's, it's, the, the, the image there is meant to be someone who bursts forth with eagerness. The bridegroom in all of his excitement for his bride comes bursting forth from his home. There's nothing quite like watching the sunrise, is there? I know a lot of you have been to the beach this summer. I'm happy for you, that's great. I'm glad you got to go to the beach. Uh, you probably, some, many of you, not all of you, many of you probably got up because there's just something so amazing about watching the sun rise over the ocean, isn't there? It's, it's one of the beauties of living here on the East Coast is seeing the sunrise over the ocean. It comes up, and, it, and you just see its power just begin to grow and grow and grow. That's the image that, that the psalmist is pointing us to. This bridegroom bursting forth from his home, rejoices like an athlete running its course. He's, he's speaking of the, from our perspective of humans, we know the sun does not rise, right? We know that the earth turns. But but from, from the vantage point of human experience, he's speaking about this phenomenon of the sun coming up and running its course day after day. In every moment of every day, it is declaring the glory of God. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Think about the sun for a minute. We don't think about the sun a lot. We just sort of, it's there, it does what it does. We don't often stop and think about it. And so I was doing a little bit of thinking about the sun this week, a little bit of research. Did you know that at its core, the sun burns at 27 million degrees Fahrenheit? That's pretty hot, it's pretty hot. a cremation chamber by contrast is about 1800 degrees. 1800 degrees will turn your body into dust. And the sun is burning at least this is what this is what scientists say. I've no idea how they know. Like, how did they figure this out? This is amazing to me that they would even guess at this. They might be totally wrong. I don't know. I'm assuming that they've come up with some sort of calculation to figure this out. But they might be totally wrong. But it's got to be something like this. 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. The sun has been burning at millions of degrees Fahrenheit since long before you ever existed, and it will burn long after you cease to exist on the earth. Again, scientists estimate it's going to burn this way for at least another five billion years. Kim and I had a fire the other night, we've been collecting the last few weeks, all the stuff falling out of our trees, twigs and stuff like that. And the, the, the pile was getting pretty big and so she's like, I'm gonna burn this. And then we have some firewood that we were gonna sit around and, and have a little bit, little fire. And our, we built this little fire that burned pretty hot for about an hour. And then we let it die out and we went inside. I can't imagine building something that would burn even at that small temperature for a year I mean, what would it take? What would it take for you and I to create something that burns at the heat of a campfire for a year or for 10 years or for a 1,000 years or for a million years? We cannot even begin to comprehend how you could create something that would burn at 27 million degrees for billions of years. And that's one of somewhere around 100 billion stars, much like it, in our galaxy alone. God created these unfathomable balls of fire and placed them in the universe just to show how good he is, just to show his power and his might and his glory. The sun is so big that if it were an empty sphere, you could fit at least a million earths inside of it. That's big. Next time you see the sun, happens at least twice a year here in western Pennsylvania. Next time you see the sun... Think about the power, the size, the magnitude, the testimony of this unceasing ball of fire that God placed strategically in this universe, as Ray Comfort would always say, just close enough that it'll ripen your tomatoes in the summer. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we would melt. If we were just a little bit further away, we would freeze. And God in his infinite wisdom created all of this. That is not even the tip of the iceberg of his creation. There are perhaps an infinite number of examples. We could could go into the complexity of human cells, the intricacies of the human eye, we could, we could talk about the way the human brain functions, and then we could, we could go outside of human beings, and we could talk about birds, bees, and tree. There's so many things. There's so many things happening in God's creation, and all of them are just declaring his glory. They're just telling us day after day, moment after moment, they're declaring the glory of What an amazing God to serve. The, Bi- the Bible tells us that creation itself is sufficient witness to God's existence for man to be accountable to that knowledge. This happens in Romans chapter one. Let me read Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 23. Apostle Paul writes, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, for they knew God. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. What Paul is referencing here, he's first of all he's He's laying out that all men throughout all time have known through the witness of creation that there is a good and glorious God. The importance of, of, well, we'll get to this. We'll get to this in the, the next section. The importance of the witness of the word should never be downplayed. It is our responsibility as those who have the word of God to take the Word of God and make it known among every man, woman, and child on the earth. That's, that's our task, that's our responsibility to go and tell people who have not heard the Word of God what the Word of God says. However, Paul says that even apart from that witness, there is sufficient evidence in creation itself so that man knows that God exists and is therefore accountable to him. But what man has done, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They've exchanged this knowledge of who God is, of his existence, of his glory. They have exchanged it for man-made images and ideas. Man has taken the witness of creation and come up with, one, all kinds of false religions, but more recently have, have well, it, it really is a religion, but have kind of done away with religion and pointed to science or pointed to evolution as an explanation for this glorious creation that day after day declares the glory of God. They've made that exchange. They've taken what they know and said, I don't like that truth. I'm going to manufacture my own ideas, my own worldview, my own truth, if you will. And they have replaced the knowledge of God with that. The witness of creation is sufficient that every man, woman, and child knows that there is a God, that he is good, and that they are accountable to him. What they do with that knowledge, what they do with that with with that intrinsic understanding of their place in the universe determines how they will respond to the gospel. So that's the witness of creation. And every man, woman, and child is exposed to that from the time they are born. But the psalmist also points to a second witness. The second witness is the witness of the word, what we often call special revelation. Go ahead, if you have the handout in front of you, go ahead and jot that down. This is the witness of of the word, referred to sometimes as special revelation. We're gonna look at verse seven. I told you the Psalm breaks down into three parts. The witness of creation, the witness of God's word, and then man's response to this. So we're in the second part, the witness of the word. Verse seven says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold. And sweeter than honey, dripping From a honeycomb in addition your servant is warned by them and in keeping them there is an abundant reward all of these things that that the psalmist mentions here are just references to the word of god the instruction of the lord the testimony of the lord the precepts of the lord the command of the lord the ordinances of the lord he's pointing to the word he's pointing to the bible which for them, at that time, would have been the first five books, what we often call the Pentateuch, which we're going to get into in our next sermon series, by the way. We're going to study Deuteronomy, which is one of the books that makes up uh, the Pentateuch. He's referring back to what they would often call the law or the law of Moses. And what does he say about the word? He says the word is perfect. It's trustworthy. It makes you wise. It makes the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant. It endures forever. This is, this is how he responds to the word of God. If I were to have asked you this morning before you came in, what do you think about the Bible? How would you describe the Bible? Would your head just have exploded and you started saying, man, it's awesome. It's incredible, I was reading it this weekend, and it's changing my life, it's, it's the best book ever. Would that have been your response? That's the way the psalmist is responding. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, trustworthy, makes my heart glad. It's more desirable than gold. He takes the most, the most valuable thing in his world he says it's more desirable than that. More desirable than an abundance of pure gold. Sweeter than honey. The sweetest thing he could think of. Sweeter than honey. Dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, if that's not enough, in addition, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. That's how he speaks of the witness of the Word. So God has created a universe that constantly declares His glory and His goodness. And He has made that known to every man, woman, and child. Then in addition to revealing Himself through creation, He has made Himself known through the Word. Excuse me. He reveals himself specifically through the witness of his word. How does his word begin? In the beginning, God. This is the first words of the Bible. This is a revelation, it is a self-revelation of God to to the people that he has created to live in relationship with him. In the beginning, God. And then from that moment on until now we have the completion of the New Testament through the end of the book of Revelation, God is revealing himself to us. He's making himself known. What what was obvious in creation now becomes specifically spoken through the revelation of God in his word. He takes what is general and what is generally understood through the witness and testimony of creation. And he makes it specific through the word. he, He makes himself known. He says, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is what I demand. This is what I give in return. This is how this works. He's revealing himself in great detail. People say, well, I'd believe in God if He would just show up and reveal Himself. That's exactly what He did. (laughs) That's that's like the idea of the Bible. What, what What we sort of knew through general revelation, we now we we now have certainty of and we have the specifics of through special revelation. God showed up. He appeared, He made Himself known. And he made sure that people wrote that down so that we would not have excuse and so that we would have access to knowing him through his word. The ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate revelation, I should say, of God showing up to make himself known comes through the life and ministry of his son, Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1 The author of Hebrews says, long ago God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. So God was speaking through his human mouthpiece, the prophets. He was making himself known through the words of men and women whom he had inspired to reveal him to his people. That's what he did long ago. In these last days, the author of Hebrews says, He has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God's self-revelation finds its ultimate fulfillment in sending his son into the world to reveal God's glorious radiance through his son. And he he brings all of his plan for redeeming mankind to fruition by sending Jesus to the cross to make payment for our sins. After making that payment, it says at the end of verse three, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is how God revealed himself. He sent his son. He sent his son to speak his word, to make known to us who God is, what he requires, what he gives in return, and he makes purification for our sins on the cross. <laughs> and then God exalts him so that he is seated at the right hand of majesty on high. God has made himself known. This is abundantly clear in scriptures. Man is without excuse. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, even if you didn't grow up reading the Bible, even if it's the first time you've heard some of these texts, the witness of creation has been screaming at you. It's been been there day in and day out. Even at night when the sun has disappeared from, from our vision, the moon comes up and the stars and they declare the glory of God, making him known. And if that was not enough, God sent forth His Son to come to bear witness, to give testimony, to, to, to further reveal who God is. And most importantly, to make purification for our sins. He came to provide a way of salvation. These two witnesses are the reason that no one will stand before God in judgment and say, I didn't know. That won't be an excuse that you can offer. You cannot stand before God and plead ignorance. He'll say, what about the sun? Every day it beat down on you. Every day you felt its heat. Where did you think that came from? well, I, I learned in, in science class that evolu- come on. These two witnesses hold men accountable to the God of creation. Peter says, I love what Peter says about the word of God. He says in Second Peter, this won't be on, on the slides behind me. I added this later. Just listen as I read Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power of, in coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, I was an eyewitness to Jesus. I saw him. I heard the voice from heaven. But, there, but then he says, there's an even better witness than an eyewitness. He says in verse 19, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you would do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man instead men spoke from God as they were carried along by the holy spirit peter who was an eyewitness points not only to his eyewitness account but to the witness of the word he says he says even if you he's basically saying even if you weren't an eyewitness like i was and even if you think i'm nuts you we still have the word which god has has brought to truth. He has, he has brought it to fruition. What he said he would do, he did in Jesus. This is the strength of the witness of the word. These two testimonies, these two witnesses hold men accountable. So, what should we do? What should be our response? How should man respond? The last thing you see on the handout, the third part of the psalm, and the third and final part of this sermon, The response of the wise, repentance and obedience. The response of the wise should be repentance and obedience. The psalmist says, creation is declaring the glory of God. The word is a witness and a testimony to who he is. So what do I do? How do I respond he says in verse 12, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my Redeemer." What does the psalmist say after he sees the witness of creation in the witness of the word. Does he stand there and he, does he say, man, God's just good. He's, he's, he's great. What a, what a great God. Man, you know, a lot of people observe the witness of the world and even in some way give glory to God. But is that a sufficient response? Is it enough to say, I see evidence of God's existence and I, I agree that he is good? It's not enough it's not enough to agree with what is so abundantly clear from the creation that surrounds us our response must go beyond affirmation of what is true the witness of creation and the witness of the word must lead us to a heartfelt response of repentance and obedience who, why does the psalmist immediately start talking about sin? What are you? Ta- why are we talking about sin? I thought we were talking about the, the glory of God in creation. I thought we were talking about how good his word is. Yes, we are. And those things need to lead us to an awareness that you and I are not prepared to stand before him. We don't live up to the standard set by his glory. We are not capable of relating to God on an even standing kind of way. Something needs to change. When I see the glory of God displayed in creation and when I hear the testimony of the word, my heart is humbled so he says, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me, cleanse me. That's his response to all of, all of this witness of God. Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Cleanse me from the things that I don't even know I'm doing wrong. Expose them, cleanse them, change them. Change me from doing the things that I, I don't even perceive. Moreover, keep me from doing the things I do perceive. He's aware that he is willfully sinning against God. He says, don't let them rule over me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth, may the things I say, may the the meditation of my heart, the things that I think, the things that I desire, the things that I long for, may they be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's asking God to change him. He's asking God to cleanse him. That is repentance. Repentance says what I'm doing is not right. What I'm doing is not good enough. I need to change and make me obedient. Make me obedient so much so that willful sins don't rule me, so much so that the words that I speak and the, th- the thoughts that I think and the desires that I entertain are pleasing to you. Make me like you, make me obedient, make me pure, cleanse me. I wanna invite you to respond to the witness of creation and to respond to the witness of the word in the only way that is appropriate to humble yourself before God, to willfully say, you are God and I am not, to willfully say, you are good and I am not. Therefore, would you cleanse me? Would you make me right before you? And I wanna remind you that that is exactly what God desires to do in you. For that very purpose, he sent his son to provide, remember what we read earlier, to provide purification for sins. That means that when Jesus comes into your life, he comes and he removes, he's already paid the penalty, and he removes the stain and the guilt and the debt that you owe because of sin, and he makes you pure, and he cleanses us in in the most intimate and most important way possible. He makes us right before God. And from then on, we are in a right relationship with God, not because we are perfect, but because Jesus is, and he has gifted to us his righteousness. When we respond to these witnesses with repentance, and when we respond with obedience, saying I will humble myself, I, I, will, I will surrender myself to you. Then he comes, and what the, what the Bible describes as causes us to be born again, to be born into a new life, a new creation, one that now properly relates to God, one that has no fear in judgment, one that is prepared to stand before God, and one that is able to live out our lives here on earth in obedience to him. That's the beauty of becoming a Christian.